and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we welcome to the show Alden Wicker. She is an award-winning journalist, a sustainable fashion expert, the founder and editor-in-chief of EcoCult. She's published investigative pieces in the New York Times and Vogue and Wired. And her new book is To Die For, How Toxic Fashion is Making Us Sick and How We Can Fight Back to Die For. Alden Wicker, thank you so much for being with us, and thank you for this book. And I want you to share with our listeners, if you would please, this big story with that you go back to and use, I think, as a lodestar uh, in your book to die for the story of airline attendants, and not in addition to the flight attendants, the flight crew, and their fashion, and what happened. I think an underreported story, but perhaps not underreported now that your book To Die For is out. Share that story with us, if you would, please. Sure. So four different major uh, U.S. airlines in the past decade, starting in 2011, rolled out brand-new high-performance uniforms for their flight attendants. Um, In the case of American Airlines, they also gave new uniforms to the pilots. And at each of these airlines, a significant portion of the airline attendants got very sick. Um, Up to 22% of them reported reactions at one airline, but there's probably more that we don't know about. And, I mean, these were horrendous illnesses. Some of them lost all their hair, um, respiratory distress so severe they were taken off the plane and taken to the ER, rashes so bad that they bled. Um, Some of them eventually developed uh, severe autoimmune diseases, and um, one of them passed away from cardiac arrest and uh, asthma um, many years later uh, after never recovering from um, the the illnesses that he picked up um, from wearing the uniform every single day. Okay, so tell us what was wrong with the uniforms. Well, that was the big question, right? Because nobody had ever understood uh, or really understood what was going on. So there were uh, tests done of all of these uniforms, and the things that came up were things like um, uh, super bright uh, dispersed dyes, which are known skin sensitizers, but also lead. Um, tests of one uniform, I think it was American Airlines, uh, turned up chlordane, which is one of the very few chemicals that were banned in the 80s for being incredibly toxic. Um, but it's perfectly legal to put it on a piece of clothing and ship it to somebody in the United States and have them wear it. So, um, you know, other heavy metals, dyes, um, formaldehyde, um, endocrine disruptors, uh, a lot of them come with uh, stain repellency, which is uh, done with the same toxic chemical that you might have heard of is in your nonstick pans or that is in the drinking water of a lot of Americans. It's been in the news lately. It's also, it's called PFAS, and it's uh, it's also in our fashion. So um, just layers and layers of chemicals all on these uniforms. I'd like to ask you, Alden Wicker, again, her new book is To Die For, How Toxic Fashion is Making Us Sick and How We Can Fight Back. I want to read you two sentences and ask you to tell us more about what that's about them. You say this. All these uniforms had a few things in common. 
They boasted water and stain repellency. They were anti-wrinkle, anti-fungal, anti-odor, and they came in bright, saturated colors of the airlines. In other words, they contained layer upon layer of nearly every newfangled chemical process on the market. And all those finishes and dyes seem to have made for a potent combination. What that makes me think about, and I, what I'm asking your comment on, is that, well, a lot of people want anti-wrinkle, anti-fungal, anti-odor, and bright saturated colors. So I want to know how prevalent are these chemicals in clothes that are for uh, people other than uh, employees of airlines? Yeah, they're, they're pretty prevalent. I mean, you can go to any uh, outdoor store and get uh, water repellent performance gear that has that Teflon uh, chemical that I just talked about. Um, in fact, it's hard to find outdoor gear that doesn't have PFAS coating on it. Um, you can get, you can go to the store, you can get anti-wrinkle, you can get anti-odor from a lot of these different yoga places. So um, you can get most of these chemical coatings and finishes uh, and these performance things at, at your at your local store or online. It's it's easy to do. Is this dangerous? It is dangerous. I mean, these chemicals, a lot of these chemicals uh, you, you might have heard of um, are have no links to a variety of elements, including cancer, um, but also they are endocrine disruptors. So they hormone disrupting chemicals that can affect your fertility, your weight, your, um, your energy levels. Um, they have links to autoimmune diseases. Um, they are known sensitizers, so um, they can set off your skin allergies or your um, or your asthma. So, um, I mean, <laughs> there's just there's thousands and thousands of chemicals that are used on fashion. The last good estimate was three thousand different chemicals, but it's probably more. Um, and the federal government uh, does not prohibit putting any of these chemicals on adult fashion and selling it to you or I. You say this in your book, To Die For. I wanted to see how widespread the acute health issues suffered by the attendants, that is the flight attendants, the story you were telling us about, were in the general population. How acute the health issues suffered by the flight attendants were in the general population. How many people were potentially getting sick from their wardrobes? I think that's a great inquiry. The next sentence shocked me. Unfortunately, nobody has ever looked into this connection before. Really? Don't we have all sorts of federal agencies that are looking after our health and welfare and safety? How could this be that we don't know about this? Well, <laughs> you know, if we lived in Europe, uh, we might have uh, a little bit more protection. But, you know, people don't take fashion seriously. You know, they... They think it's a it's a woman's frippery thing, and uh, it's really hard actually to study this because, you know, you or I, I mean, most of the research that we have is coming out of you know permanent press factories uh, where workers are exposed to formaldehyde every single day at measurable levels, and then we see, oh yes, they're more likely to get leukemia later on. But you and I, we wear so many different types of clothing that it would be really hard to figure out you know, what is our exposure levels and where are these illnesses coming from? So it's, it's very hard to connect them definitively. But, you know, in the general population, you know, one in five people have suffered contact dermatitis. So that's when they, something touches their skin and they get really terrible blisters or rashes. One in five people are chemically intolerant, so they have 
full body reactions to being around synthetic chemicals and fumes. And so um, this is affecting a lot of different people. And we know these chemicals are toxic. We know for a fact uh, that they're getting into the dust in our homes because they're coming off our clothing. We know that they're transferring to our skin. Um, so we know that this is a problem and we do need more research, but we have enough to know that we need to take action. We are speaking with Alden Wicker, her new book, and should know, we should know she's an investigative reporter. Her new book is To Die For, How Toxic Fashion Is Making Us Sick and How We Can Fight Back. Buzz? Uh, Alden Wicker, I, uh, this is Buzz, and I, uh, I remember that there's, I had a case once, I'm an attorney, and there was a case involving the Wool Products Labeling Act. There are laws about disclosure and labels where people have to know what they're eating, or in this case, wearing. Um, are those laws not uh, being enforced? Are they not on the books anymore? I don't know the answer to that. Do you? Well, you know, those label laws only cover the fiber content. So um, a 100% cotton t-shirt would just say 100% cotton. But actually, these chemicals and dyes and finishes can be up to 8% of the uh, weight of the garment. Um, so uh, they're, uh, they're except for the case of dyes, they're largely invisible. And uh, I think if people, if those labels were accurate and comprehensive the way they are on cleaning products or beauty products, I think people would be terrified and shocked. They would run to 50 ingredients long. They would include things like formaldehyde um, and lead and phthalates and uh, a lot of things that people do not recognize and look very scary, which they are. So um, I would love to see better labeling uh, required, but right now we just don't have it. But that was all. I just wanted to ask that uh, I know whenever my, when we bought clothes for the kids when they were little, my wife always insisted on washing them uh, first. Does that do anything to sort of uh, offset these dreadful consequences you're talking about? Yeah, in this case, your wife was right. <laughs> and uh, That's nothing and new. Can, <laughs> um, it, it can help uh, get off some of the residues, um, the, uh, the contaminate, contamination that can come. Um, you know, the, like I talked about, you know, the, there could be pesticides, there could be fungicides that were applied. Um, you know, there's temporary finishes that are just put on to make it feel and look good in the store. Um, it doesn't get rid of everything, though. Um, in the case of PFAS, that waterproofing, stainproofing finish uh, class of chemicals, um, those are called forever chemicals for a reason. They never break down. Um, so they're just going to continually off-gas and come out into your house dust. Um, so things like that, um, uh, washing would not take care of. But washing can take care of a lot of different things. And I would add, you should always do it in unscented laundry detergent because you do not want to be putting toxic chemicals back on with your fresh scented laundry detergent. This may be a um, somewhat obvious question, but we've been talking about the consumers, those of us who buy these clothes. What I'd like to know is how how bad, what are the effects of people who work in the factories that produce these clothes? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really bad. So I traveled to India um, to actually talk to garment workers. Um, and, and we've known for, for a very long time, I mean, Greenpeace has done work on this, that uh, these factories, uh, these dye houses are putting very toxic um, wastewater into 
the water supply of these communities and into the environment um, and the people who work in dye houses are exposed and breathe in these chemicals. But I ended up talking to a garment worker who worked in a uh, synthetic, uh, in a, in a garment factory where she was sewing synthetic clothing. And uh, she ended up with just really nasty rashes all over her arms and her legs. And when I met her, she had quit her job. Her doctor had told her to quit her job, but she still had these rashes all over her legs because she was continuing to wear a polyester sari every day. So, um, you know, I mean, there there have been dye house workers who have died because they've been told, you know, go in the storage tank or the waste tank and clean it out, and then they are asphyxiated by these fumes. And, you know, those same toxic chemicals, uh, they're just, staying on our clothing uh, all the way to our closet. So we think it's over there, but it's not. It's it's back over here with us. To go back to Buzz's question for a moment about washing, do the chemicals wear off gradually as they are washed during their use as clothing? They are. Um, they come out in the wash. They come out in the air. Uh, microfibers um, break off our clothing whenever we wear our clothing. Um, and uh, researchers at Duke have found that uh, have found, you know, dyes and other chemicals that are on clothing in in house dust of people of all socioeconomic levels, um, and uh, uh, so when that happens, we're breathing it in, so it can trigger asthma if it's covered with these sensitizing chemicals, um, or our children can crawl around on the ground and you know, they put their hands in the dust and, and then they put their hands in their mouth and they have these little bodies that are much more affected by some of these toxic chemicals. So it's it's definitely a problem. So I don't mean to sound, uh, uh, well, ignorant, but I will. Where do the chemicals go? They come out in the wash. They come out when we wear the clothes. Uh, they end up in the air. They end up in our water. What happens with them? It depends. Some of them, um, some of them dissipate, like formaldehyde. Um, it's not great in, it's not good for you in high concentration, but it'll eventually go away. Um, when it comes to heavy metals, uh, like lead or chromium, which have been found in, in fashion, um, those can accumulate in your body. Um, things like BPA or phthalates, those hormone disrupting chemicals, um, you you can pee them out so your levels can go down as long as you're not continually being exposed. But, you know, we're exposed to, to these chemicals from so many different uh, sources every day that people's levels actually stay pretty, pretty steady. And then with PFAS, those are forever chemicals. So they build up in your body and they never break down. They just, they just hang out um, and they travel too. So that's why those are so toxic and insidious. We are speaking with Alden Wicker. Her new book is To Die For, How Toxic Fashion is Making Us Sick and How We Can Fight Back. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to find out what happened to those people who work for the airlines. You're going to find this rather shocking. We'll be right back. Turn away If you could get me a drink More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. 
Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's shop Friday? Kohl's Building Supply? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Kohl's Building Supply in North Amherst provides the quality materials for any home improvement project. Visit the Kitchen Design Showroom, the Benjamin Moore Paint Store, or their Flooring Showroom. You'll find a caring team with the knowledge and expertise to answer all your questions. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. at whmp.com. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Ah, summer in New England, and the local farmers are showing up at the co-op every day with summer berries, basil, and tomatoes, an endless bounty of fresh fruits and vegetables. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats, sausage, lots of grilling ideas. And in the co-op cheese department, get fresh mozzarella for your caprese salad. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Having a hard time with your mental health or substance use? You have options. The 24-7 Behavioral Health Helpline is your front door to care. Call 833-773-2445 to speak with a trained staff member and get connected to the support you need. Want to see someone right away? Visit mass.gov cbhcs to find your local community behavioral health center a service of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It wasn't necessary and it probably wasn't even appropriate. On the one hand, I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives, 1015 and 1400 WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with investigative reporter Alden Wicker, whose new book is To Die For, How Toxic Fashion is Making Us Sick and How We Can Fight Back. We began our conversation with the story that uh, Alden Wicker tells in this book, To Die For, about how airline flight attendants and the flight crews were required to wear uniforms that were, frankly, poisonous. What happened with that? What's the end of that story? Well, the story is still ongoing uh, for some of the airline attendants. Uh, the Alaska airline attendants um, that were the first ones, they brought a lawsuit. The lawsuit was dismissed for lack of evidence without them ever getting to testify. Uh, the American Airlines lawsuit is still ongoing. The Delta Airlines lawsuit failed to move forward as a class action. Um, and then uh, the, but all of three of those airlines ended up switching out their uniforms without admitting fault or admitting that the uniforms were toxic. Um, at Southwest, uh, they are still being required to wear those same uniforms. So they have not switched them out yet. Uh, so that's, that's still going. Let me ask you this. You write this, and this goes to the question that you and I and Buzz and Dan were talking about during the break. You write this. I wish I had a story of vindication for you, a large settlement, an admission of the obvious truth, some accountability by fashion and chemical companies. I don't. What I have, you write, is sadness and anger which gets us to the question that we raised with you during the break, which is what can and should we do as just lay people 
and what can and should the government do as a matter of protecting the population? The first step is becoming aware and understanding what's going on because this is all very new information to many people, including people in the fashion industry. Um, What you can do to protect your own health and your family's health, uh, be wary of performance fabrics and promises. So if it promises to be anti-wrinkle, if it promises to be stain repellent or anti-odor, that's usually achieved with chemical finishes. Don't don't buy it. Um, Avoid ultra-fast fashion brands and knockoffs. So the kind of things you see advertised on Facebook and Instagram, uh, those gibberish brand names you've never heard of, those are very dangerous. Uh, shop with companies you trust. Look for labels such as Blue Sign, Ocotech, and Gots. Uh, go for natural materials whenever possible. Um, avoid dry cleaning. Uh, and trust your nose. You know, if, if something smells like chemicals, put it back in the package and send it back. Um, as far as the government, though, I mean, this is a lot to ask of, of regular people. We shouldn't have to, to do all of this. We should be able to go to any store or buy anything from anywhere and know that it's not toxic. So I'd like to see ingredient lists required, uh, complete ingredient lists so that people understand what's going on. I'd like to see m- way more funding for additional research on, on chemicals in, in fashion and what they are doing. I'd like to see bans on the most toxic chemicals in all clothing and accessories sold in the United States. And I'd like to see expanding um, and funding the power of the Consumer Product Safety Commission to test and recall products. We are going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Alden Wicker, whose new book is To Die For, How Toxic Fashion is Making Us Sick and How We Can Fight Back. The book is available, of course, at your local independent bookstore. You want to read this book, and you'd like to buy it at your local independent bookstore. Alden Wicker, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your book. Thank you for this really quite extraordinary contribution to our health and safety. Thank you. We'll be right back. listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Eversource is getting the green light to monitor and transmit data from natural gas pipelines underground in Northampton. The city council approved the installation of nine telemetry cabinets, which will be installed on public ways on North Maple Street, Prospect Street, and Trumbull Road. Three more cabinets will have to come back to council to be approved at Barrett, Hinckley, and Chestnut Streets and will be discussed at the next council meeting July 6th. A Westfield man will still face gun charges after a judge denied a motion to dismiss the case. 37-year-old Eric LaFrance allegedly sold two guns illegally to an undercover federal agent. During a search of LaFrance's house, detectives found numerous guns, ammunition, and a crossbow. According to Mass Live, LaFrance has had 45 previous arrests. LaFrance will be back in court on July 30th. Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner said the city is open for business to manufacturing now that the area along the French King Highway near the industrial park has been rezoned as an industrial area. I speak to business owners and contractors and developers looking for space for their clients and can't find it. This was a beautiful opportunity to make more land available and to bring more jobs, especially good paying jobs here in Greenfield. While some city councilors disagreed with the change and said the area could be used for housing, the mayor argued that developers are not interested in building housing that far outside the city center, but that large manufacturing industries are actively seeking land to expand their operations into Western Mass.
Another mostly cloudy day, humid, some scattered, mainly light showers today. The high of 78 to 82. Scattered showers again tonight. Overnight low of 64 to 70. Mixture of sun and clouds here tomorrow. Watch out. Some stronger thunderstorms are possible Wednesday afternoon. A high of 78 to 82. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La Corte Suprema se está preparando para decidir algunos de sus casos más importantes del periodo. Al Tribunal Superior le quedan 10 opiniones para publicar durante la próxima semana antes de que los jueces comiencen sus vacaciones de verano. Como es típico, las últimas opiniones que se publicarán cubren algunos de los temas más polémicos que la Corte ha enfrentado con este término, incluida la acción afirmativa, los préstamos estudiantiles y los derechos de los homosexuales. La supervivencia de la acción afirmativa en la educación superior es el tema de dos casos relacionados, uno que involucra a Harvard y el otro a la Universidad de Carolina del Norte. La administración de Biden ha dicho que deshacerse de las admisiones universitarias conscientes de la raza tendría un efecto desestabilizador que haría que las filas de estudiantes negros y latinos cayeran en picado en las escuelas más selectivas del país. Los jueces también decidirán el destino del plan del presidente Joe Biden para eliminar o reducir los préstamos estudiantiles de millones de estadounidenses. Cuando el tribunal escuchó los argumentos del caso en febrero, no parecía probable que el plan sobreviviera, aunque es posible que los jueces decidan que los demandantes no tenían derecho a demandar y que el plan aún puede seguir adelante. Los pagos de préstamos que han sido suspendidos desde el comienzo de la pandemia de coronavirus hace tres años se reanudarán este verano. Por otra parte, el tribunal aún no ha decidido un choque entre los derechos de los homosexuales y los derechos religiosos. Y a medida que se acelera la temporada de elecciones, la Corte Suprema aún no ha dicho qué hará en un caso sobre el poder de las legislaturas estatales para dictar reglas para las elecciones presidenciales y del Congreso sin ser revisado por los tribunales estatales. Yo soy Johan Vega. Y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We welcome to the studio Johnny Memphis because we want you to know about the Florence Summer Concert Series. And Johnny Memphis who is, of course, the ringleader of the Johnny Memphis Band, long, t long history here on the Northampton Radio Group. He's been on the river for years and years and years and years and still fills in as a DJ. Is that right? That's correct. I was on on Sunday filling in for Jim Olson because he was doing the Green River Festival. Oh, he was a little busy this week. He was weekend. a little busy, exactly. Well, it is just a pleasure to have you, Johnny, here in the studio The Florence Summer Concert Series. You are the music coordinator. So for those of our listeners who said the Florence Summer Concert Series, I didn't know Florence had a summer concert series, although I think anyone who was in and around the streets of Florence recently when there was a concert by the Young at Heart Chorus understood that all sorts of people came out. And it was, I understand, a fabulous concert by Young at Heart. But let's go back. The Florence Summer Concert Series. What is it? Where is it? When is it? Why is it? You know, talk to us. Why is it? I like to get right to the why. Okay. <laughs> Because people need music, and it's free music, and it's outside. And it's a wonderful concert series every Thursday night, 6.30 to 8, 
on the porch of the Florence Civic Center right next to the library where the little town center is. And then people bring their lawn chairs, sit out there, and uh, there's all kinds of different music. Every Thursday night, June, July, August, 14 concerts every Thursday, 6.30 to 8, in Florence. I'm actually astounded that you can put together a four, 14 weeks? 14 weeks. 14 weeks, 14 acts or more. How, how'd you do that? Well, it's been going on for a while. I started um, booking it last year, and I'm doing it again this year. Robert Ross had been doing that before, and it's been ongoing, very popular. People love it. I mean, it's such a nice community thing. And then just if you enjoy music or we just want to get outside, there's also food trucks now. As of last year, we started having food trucks. So this coming Thursday with the Wildcat O'Halloran Blues Band, Crazy Arapus food truck will be there. And uh, arepas are like little corn cakes. You know what an arepa is? You know, it's a r e p a s. It's easy to misunderstand what you were saying. There. Yeah, arepas. arepas. It's basically a, a South American. Thank you both for getting us out of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, I didn't even think about that aspect. But anyway, it's a delicious little corn cake, uh, typically made in South American Colombia, and you stuff it full of good stuff, cheese and meat. And anyway, they're gonna have crazy arepas. Will be there, and there's different. Um, food trucks every week at the Florence Summer Concert Series, which is fun. And also um, popcorn and water. And it's just a lovely, like I live in Florence two blocks from there. And it's this wonderful kind of gathering of Florence community. And it's all free. So people just wander in and they hear it and they go, what's, what is that? That sounds good. What is that? And for those who don't take their passport from Northampton and go to Florence all the time, I think we should point out that the parking generally is free. It's absolutely free. It's one of the nice things about Florence. There's many nice things about Florence, but uh, that is certainly the one paradise of, of Northampton. Yeah, there you go. You could call it that. Um, it's certainly a nice place to be, and it's just nice to have some outdoor music. And I'm excited that actually Northampton now has added more outdoor music between the parking garage and the brewery. They have a stage also on Thursday nights. So if you can't make it to Florence, you could go to that. But I highly recommend coming to ours. It's uh, put on by the Florence Civic and Business Association which is a volunteer group and raises money and gets really nice support from local businesses and individuals. And um, we are able to pay the bands and do everything we need to do. And, you know, we bought a PA system last year, which is really nice, so the bands don't have to bring their own. And it's just a really lovely thing to come to. I highly recommend it. So Johnny That's why I'm here. I want to ask you the same question we just asked uh, Jim Olson when we were talking about the Green River Festival last yeah. week. And that is, how do you curate? I'm looking at the array Yes. That you have here of, of groups. Um, it's pretty eclectic. It is eclectic. How do you curate this? Well, that's a great question. Um, you curate it, basically, uh, that, that's a great question. Well, there's an audience. Okay, you've stalled for enough time. Let's, have, <laughs> let's hear the answer. <laughs> I mean, Buzz, that was a really great question. <laughs> and let's move on to the next question. Well, and, jo and, jo and, and Johnny, when we here's, here's how Nixon would do it. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Bill, how does Johnny curate this? I don't know. It's just a fascinating <laughs> idea to explore. This is what Richard Nixon would say. Let me ask you another question. <laughs> um, you know, basically, you're trying to get all kinds of different kinds of music that reflect the, uh, the, the citizenry. And also, um, it's a, kind of an older crowd. It's like a lot of older crowd and little uh, kids, uh, families with kids. And then there's a few people like college-age kids and stuff, but majority. So you don't want to push it too hard in terms of like really loud bands or whatever, like heavy-duty rock, death metal. They're, people aren't up for that. But there's a lot of room within, you know, not getting that loud or rough. 
that you can play with. And so um, we try to do that. And it's just like, I've been in the music, the local music scene for a long time. I've done tons of stuff. I wrote about it for the Gazette. I had a column for 10 years. Did all kinds of stuff on the radio. Had a local music show called Homegrown. And we put out CDs and raised money for the food bank. I've just been in the local music. So I know a lot of different things about what's going on. I don't know. I'm getting older now, so I don't know the young ones as well. But I know the old ones really well. Yeah, plus you're probably forgetting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, then you know, you just find out about stuff. And so you try to mix it up. And um, yeah, I'm super excited. For instance, the Latin jazz band we have coming, um, Libro Azul, who I discovered at the Northampton Jazz Festival last year. Um, playing in Progression Brewery, led by John Weeks on saxophone and um, just a, a fantastic Latin jazz band. It's like, I'm just, it'll be so nice on the porch there. And the key to the whole thing, actually, is the weather. Much like the Green River Festival, if the weather cooperates, it is just, you're just outside in Florence on this green and you look and you can see Main Street going down and you can and see- And tell us where Meadow for Street. those- It's right in the middle of town. You can't, I mean, Florence is so small. It. It's very hard. You, you'd be hard pressed to miss this. And um, there's really, Florence is like a one block town. So at the, you know. Oh, I don't know. About one, one end one. of it. <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of the, like the, um, the center of it, the, the center, village. Yeah. The center. So it's right next to the library, next to the cemetery, next, it's the, actually on the porch of the civic center. And it sounds like Florence, I mean, I don't live in Florence, but it sounds like it, there's a real sense of community in Florence and people are absolutely proud of where they live and the community that they share with others. So true, Buzz. Absolutely. I mean, people love that. I mean, people love living here in general. And then, you know, it's always like, well, we really like where we live, you know, and it is a really nice place um, because it has a town center but um you know it's also got kind of bigger yards and no parking no cost for parking and it's re- it's lovely being in florence and there's little additions there's a new coffee shop opening up and you know right it's like winning monopoly it's free parking and yeah. then we had the whole thing with the pot store on the corner that was a big thing like people didn't want that people just felt like there's a lot of pot stores and do we have to have it right on the main corner where the pizza thing is and actually it didn't happen and that was an interesting issue because and interesting the way the community came out and the way felt very strongly about that and way in which the city responded yeah and, that's right and it said you know it's florence you can have a pot store a pot store a couple of stores in from the main. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I wondered about whether that was just too tough on that particular entrepreneur or whether that was the right decision. I think it was actually good that it didn't happen there. But anyway. Yeah, but they could have had it just a pop-up store for Thursdays, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. But so, anyway, yeah, it's a really fun series. And um, maybe we could hear a little music from, um, you got any music dialed up over there? What do you got? Dan? Oh, good. Oh, yeah. oh okay. So before, before we play... <laughs> Here's the real we, reason I came on the air. <laughs> okay. More investigative reporting. The real reason Johnny Memphis is here. Listen, <laughs> we're going to play some of Johnny Memphis from the Johnny Memphis band and the recent CD. I, I think it's worth noting for those who have not yet gone to a Florence public uh, Florence summer concert series, what they've missed so far. I, I, yeah, not, yeah. I'm not trying to... Not no, trying. that's good. Uh, you have missed... Uh, the Florence Community Band. Always the first concert. Uh, and the Mary Jane Jones, it's soul rock band. Unbelievable nine-piece band. So good, they will blow your mind. With horns. Su- with horns. Great singers, superb musicians, one of the Valley's best bands. And the Young at Heart Chorus. Young at Heart Chorus, who just won a, a Emmy, you know, as part of their... That's a, Have you told that story about they collaborated with the high school students and Northampton Open Media... And they beat out NBC10 in Boston and everything for that. They won an Emmy for something that was just kind of put together, just something half we the, do Half here. the kids on camera, I mean, half the camera operators were high school students. It's amazing. That's a tremendous story. And Gazette kind of missed that, by the way. 
Yes. Just, just saying. Just saying. Yeah, okay. Mass Live picked up on it, but the Gazette missed it. Anyway. It, that was too bad because it's- a, It's a really worth, it's even worth going back to that story. That's a great story. Yeah, there. I think that's a really it's good real idea. Cool. We will, we'll, sit, we'll, have, we'll have, see if we can get Bob Silliman in. Yeah, and, no, and it's we'll, a neat thing. And we'll get some of the kids in as well. I think that's yeah, a really yeah. good idea, Johnny. And people also missed June 22nd, the Beatles tribute- how can you miss a Beatles tribute band? Love, love those Beatles songs. People love it. Hosted by the Eggman, a longtime band here in the, in the He has Dave Stern and a bunch of his friends. And then a lot of, Leah Kunkel got up and sang. He was oh, an incredible wow. singer. And um, anyway, it was, it was a lot of fun. So, and... and uh, uh, this week it's blues. Blues. So that's uh, Wildcat O'Halloran. O'Halloran. Fantastic. And then coming up, the Big Yellow Taxi. It's Joni Mitchell tribute. And then after that... The Big Yellow Taxi is on July 6th. And then on July 13th, <laughs> the Florence Summer Concert Series will present the Johnny Memphis Band. Oh! Oh! How did they ever book that band? But, Bill, wow. what, what you haven't mentioned uh, that Johnny was talking about before is with each of those concerts, there is a food truck married to it. That's right. That is really interesting. Like, uh, I'm looking at some of these trucks. There's the, some really good ones. Really good one, like Cousins Maine Lobster. That truck. was unbelievably good. That lobster truck, the Saucy Mama. Saucy Mama is fantastic. It, it, it just uh, it's a it's really, a cool thing, yeah. It's a very cool and that's thing. a new addition to the series. Okay, ready? One more time. And now presenting on July thirteenth. <laughs> I'm gonna hire you. <laughs> it's the Johnny Memphis Band. Dan, take it away. Don't want you thinking that I've changed. That my plans got rearranged I got a lot that's on my plate I'm on my way, I'm running late Just hold on, let me explain Was unavoidably detained I'm not giving you the biz I think you know just how it is This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg what do you take to the beach? A book. Go to Broadside. Get a beach read. Like Happy Place by Emily Henry. Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. Have you read Lessons in Chemistry? Read it by the water. Broadside Bookshop Summer Reads. For the beach or a lazy afternoon in an Adirondack. Stacey Abrams' new thriller is Rogue Justice, and you won't be able to put it down, except maybe for a quick dip to cool off. Broadside, Northampton's community bookstore. Order any book on the Broadside website. Have it delivered to your door or pick up at the store. At the Black Sheep in Amherst, they're still baking and cooking from scratch, just like they have for almost four decades. Did you put off a party or anniversary due to COVID? Let the Black Sheep Deli help you finally celebrate this summer. You deserve it. Treat your guests to their wonderful appetizers, entrees, baked goods, and luscious desserts. No need to do all the work yourself. Let the Black Sheep Deli help you make your party a success with less stress. The Black Sheep Deli, open seven days a week and still having fun with food since 1986. You spend seven or eight hours a night together, and you're supposed to decide if you're right for each other in a matter of minutes? This has never made sense to me. So, when you're in my store, trying to decide which mattress is right for you, at some point, I think you and I just need to stop talking. I need to leave you alone, give you plenty of time to lay down, and maybe even forget you're in a furniture store. Hi, it's Robin. Robin from Talon. Think about it. Seven or eight hours, night after night, and what do you really know about mattresses? I don't mean to make it daunting or complicated. I just think you need two things, information and time. 
If I give you as much information as you want and as much time as you need, I think you'll settle on a mattress you'll be happy with. At least that's the way it seems to go for most people. Talon Furniture, the small, unhurried furniture and mattress store just down the hill from Amherst College. We are in the studio with Johnny Memphis, who is the music coordinator for the Florence Summer Concert Series. Johnny, what were we just hearing? We just heard the Lonesome Brothers, the fabulous Lonesome Brothers down by the water, and they always end the final show. They do the last show of the concert series, and it's really fun. It tends to be, you know, right around Labor Day, and they're doing it again. And I think, uh, yeah, we have like um, marshmallows, and I don't know, it's, it's special special kind of campfire thing. The Lonesomes are so great. Just an absolute valley treasure. Should and, we uh, identify the Lonesome Brothers? Jim Armenti, Ray Mason, Keith Levero. And they are... They're terrific, yeah. They are They're absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Terrific. Hey, you know, I did want to mention, but we kind of zoomed by this, but do not miss Big Yellow Taxi, July 6th at the Florence Summer Concert Series. Maybe you've heard about them. They're a Joni Mitchell tribute band led by Teresa Lorenko, who's an unbelievable singer, and they have some of the best musicians in the Valley, and they do all the Joni stuff from the super folky beginnings to the jazzy, incredibly complicated later stuff, and they just nail it, and they're really starting to tour all over the Northeast, and they're just incredible. We had the trio last year, which was Rich Kalane and John Caban and Teresa, and now we have the sixth piece, and it is not to be missed. And the food truck, Crips Nanu. There you go. That's a good thing. That the crepe thing is really good, actually. Yeah. Wow. So let's go through. Just come on Thursday nights in general to the center of Florence, six thirty, and bring a chair, and you're gonna, uh, I think, have a great time. And if it rains, we go indoors in the Civic Center. Really? Yeah. And there's so, enough room. It'll be a little cozy, but um, that's what we're doing these days. So June 29th, this Thursday is Wild Cattle O'Halloran. That's correct. And then listen to this lineup for July. July 6th, the Big Yellow Taxi. That Joni Mitchell thing is insane. July 13th, the Johnny Memphis Band, which is a total treat. I mean, Johnny is... It's amazing they play a place that small, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. And July 20th, the Expandable Brass Band, which is such a treat. And that's a Florence thing. Such a treat. I I should tell you that... Once upon a time, we had the expandable brass band in the studio. Oh, nice. <laughs> and it just, of course, every all the work in the building completely came to a stop. Nobody could hear anything. You, you Mon- wish it was a retractable brass band. <laughs> well, right. there was Monty tr- at the board trying to ride the, ride the board Good and luck. make the microphones work. It's a big, it's <laughs> it just, a big band. just gave up. We had no room. I mean, when they brought the tuba in, I said, "This is how is this ever going to work? And They're again, really fun. It is. The expandable brass band is terrific. A and funky it, marching band. That's right. And... It is expandable because it's never quite clear to me when I see them play how many of them there will be. Well, you can join. It's an open door policy. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, they do rehearse. I mean, they. they oh yeah, they're good. They're but really they also good. open to people if they want to, you know, be part of it. You can come join in. So the expandable brass band is on July twentieth, and then on July twenty seventh, Elvis. Oh, here's the thing about Elvis. That Elvis, we lost that Elvis. Oh, you lost we're, that we're Elvis? Gonna, we're working on a replacement Elvis. A replacement Elvis. Yes. 
<laughs> As Aloha, <of> Elvis. <laughs> exactly. Elvis has left the building. But we found another Elvis on the other side of the building. So we're working on that Elvis. And um, So you will you will have a replacement Elvis? I, you know, if you we think. have to get you up there with sideburns, Bill, we're going to have an Elvis up there. Oh, my God. What's the date? July 27th. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, going back to Buzz's initial question about curating, to put together a 14 uh, week series with a new performer, new performers uh, acts every week. That's and for it all to work out, that in that in, requires an incredible amount of skill and planning, and some luck. Yeah, and uh, there are repeat performers. We some of these people we have every year. Like Florence Community Band starts it every year. Lonesome Brothers end it every year, and then they're the ones that are really locked in. But then we you know sort of fill in. But okay, anyway. so let's talk about some of the ones, some of the acts, some of the performers who will be coming in August. Um, the one which gets my attention immediately is the Stomp Box Trio, which with I, Evelyn Harris, which I love. Fantastic, fantastic group. And the food truck, Buzz, <laughs> you seem to be kind of focused on the I food. I am. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Okay, Buzz, Buzz. It and, will... and now, introducing the food, we have Buzz Eisenberg. The Saucy Mama. <laughs> oh, so excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, every well week done. a food truck. Well done. Every week a food truck. That sounds yeah. like an act too. That, okay, uh, you want to tell us about the other people, the other acts, performers who will be uh, like in, be remind there in, me in, in August. Yeah, let's see here. I'll put you put my glasses on. And uh, oh yeah, um, Libro Azul was the Latin jazz thing I was talking about. It's going to be beautiful. Super psyched about that. That's August third with Caravan Kitchen Food Truck, the Fawns, fantastic local in, Northampton indie rock band who've been around for a long time will be playing on August 10th at the concert series. Stompbox Trio, August 17th, Ozzy's Basement. What's that? That is like a, a really great local, I mean, that's like your neighbors in Florence, like a whole bunch of them who do these fun covers, and they just have a great time, and that's going to be a blast. That'll be August 24th, and then they'll finish up with the Lonesome Brothers doing their incredible Diesel Billy, or Hick Rock, as they call it. So, Johnny Memphis, I was interested in what you said a few moments ago in passing, but I believe I heard you correctly that people are not asked to perform for free. Oh, no, yeah. Musicians should be paid. They are working. They are performing for us. Absolutely. They get paid. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where's the money come from? Well, we raise it from local businesses. We send out letters, and people are very generous, and they're sponsors, and they get nice recognition. There's great big posters and the announcements from the stage, and it's a really cool, wonderful outpouring of support for the whole thing, and it's it's really working out well. We had people, um, Grace Paint and Tile painted the whole building last year, and it's a real nice community vibe in Florence um, and in all around here, but definitely in Florence, where people love Florence and they want to support it and they want to support the music series. And there's no charge to come. There's no charge, no. And so it's put on by the Florence Civic and Business Association, who also do all the lights in Florence, the Christmas lights, and they do the Rag Shag Parade and, and various other events like this. Country, there's a barbecue, chicken barbecue in September. and um, So this is the, the, one of the big things that the Florence Civic and Business Association does. Do we have some other music queued up, Dan? What do we have? Stomp up. I love this song, Me the People. We the people gotta come together, fight for freedom and live for one another. 
Okay, Johnny Memphis, who are we listening to? That's Stompox Trio featuring uh, Evelyn Harris on lead vocals, John Caban, and Paul Kahansky on upright bass. And they will be performing when? Well, doggone it, they're, they're, they're part of this incredible music series, uh, the Florence Summer Concert Series happening Thursday night, 6.30 to 8 in the center of Florence. They'll be there on August 17th. And I would be interested to know uh, how you, going back to Buzz's initial question, how you decide between uh, acts that are local and whether that's a focus of the Florence Summer Concert Series? Or Good question. No, I, I definitely, that is a focus. Like, all these people are from right around here. You know, they're from Franklin, Hampshire, and Hamden County. And we, we might go to Berkshire County. We might. But, you know, in general, really try to highlight. There's so much great music around here that it's, it, why not? You well, know? that's what I was just going to say. It, it, it never ceases to really amaze me. I'm, I'm not being hyperbolic. It yeah. amazes me how much talent we have in this in this. There's a lot of great music and musicians out here and great artists in general, yeah, and so this reflects that. So, um, you know, there's plenty of great musicians and bands to choose from. So when the bands come and they are paid performers, uh, is there some sense of their community involvement that comes through when they perform? Is there chatter about local events and local people uh, or not? By the performers? Yes. It depends on the performer. I mean, some might get into that. Most people just get up there and do their thing. You know, the music is, speaks for itself, and they're not up there to really talk too much. I mean, you hear more like, you know, Bob Silman and the Young at Heart Chorus. You're going to hear a lot. It's, it's Bob. He might have a few things to share Yeah, with exactly. Us. So, I mean, it just depends. But, I mean, generally people get up there and play their music. And when people, when people come, do we bring chairs? Do bring we a sit, chair, do bring a blanket. There's a grassy lawn, but it's it's good to bring some seating for sure. And bring your appetite. Yeah, bring your appetite. That's right. <laughs> I'm focused on the food truck. <laughs> right, we got you. We hooked you with that. That's very good. How'd you get all the food trucks? Just, you know, there's a bunch of food trucks around, and I don't coordinate that, but uh, somebody, you know, works with them and figures out um, who would be good and uh, gets them to come. And I, I just wanted to, I, this is on my mind, I have to mention this. I love the last interview we did with that woman um, about the chemical dyes in the... Alden Wicker. Her Alden Wicker. And she just, she said one little thing that stuck out, and it could be a motto for your whole show. Uh-oh. One little thing. She said, trust your nose. Ooh. Buzz, like Buzz, <laughs> it's back to Buzz and the food trucks. Can we talk about the food trucks? <laughs> it's not a bad name for a band, Buzz but, and the food trucks. <laughs> and maybe the album could be Trust Your Nose. <laughs> and the album is Trust Your Nose by Buzz and the food trucks. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love that concept, and that's true. I, trust no, Your I, Nose. I, I think the sequel will be Don't Trust My Nose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's hear... I want to hear on the way out for sure. I want to hear more from the Johnny Memphis band, but tell us a bit about your band. Oh, thank you. That's so nice of you to ask. Well, we have a five-piece band now. It's um, me on mandolin and bass, and then um, Catherine First on fiddle, Laurie Rosenfeld on banjo, Paul Hartshorn on guitar, sometimes bass, and Jason Smith on drums. And I call it single-stream rock and roll in that it's like single-stream recycling. We just play all kinds of music, and um, we put it all in one bin, and there you go. And the CD that I have in front of me, the Johnny Memphis Band, the title Running Late, is it new? Yeah, it is new, and they've been playing it on the river, so that's nice. How about that? I know, it's amazing. You could have knocked (laughs) me over with a feather. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Dan, what are we going to hear? Can you tell us? 
Do you know? I've never been to Memphis. Oh. oh, I just went to Memphis too. I have to rewrite the song. So yeah. did we. <laughs> I've never been to Memphis Never had the barbecue Never been to Graceland Never seen the jungle room Yes, that's the Johnny Memphis Band. My band playing on uh, July 13th at the Florence Summer Concert Series. Hope you can join us there. Um, It's every Thursday in Florence. It's free and um, goes at 6.30 to 8 o'clock. There's food trucks. And uh, it's a wonderful scene. Hope you can make it sometime. We'll see you there. I'm gonna do the funky chicken. They say they do it everywhere. Do you use home oxygen? Do you know about the increased risk of fires and burns? No one should smoke in your home. There's more oxygen in the air, which makes fires burn faster and hotter. Furniture, clothes, bedding, and hair absorb oxygen and can catch fire more easily. Keep 10 feet away from any flame or heat source. For more information, call 1-877-9-NO-FIRE or go to mass.gov DFS. Breathe easy and use your home oxygen safely. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult looking to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam and preparing for college. To find out about our free classes in Franklin and Hampshire counties, check us out online at literacyproject.org, or call us in Northampton at 413-584-6755. If you want to learn, the Literacy Project is the place for you. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls, WHMP.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10 o'clock. By Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. Vladimir Putin was front and center in Moscow today, thanking his military for stopping what he called a civil war after a weekend uprising by Wagner mercenaries. The country has closed a criminal case against the group's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin. Correspondent Christina Ruffini has more. It's still very unclear exactly what is happening, how this is going to play out. You know, now there seems to be an agreement that the Wagner group will operate from Minsk, but this is a group that has tentacles all over the world including a lot of holdings and a lot of resources in places like Africa, you know, throughout the war in Ukraine. Belarus has just confirmed Prigozhin arrived there today. Legal analysts say it could be a smoking gun. CBS News has obtained audio of former President Trump showing what were believed to be classified documents to people at his golf club in New Jersey two years ago. CBS's Catherine Herridge reports from Washington. In the special counsel's indictment, they're described as a publisher, a writer, and two staffers. It was part of an effort to pull together a biography for his former chief of staff, so they did not have security clearances. A new report documents 20 percent of our political leaders have direct links to what's often referred to as this country's original sin. CBS's Jim Krasula. An examination of genealogies of America's political elite found that at least 100 of the 536 members of the last sitting Congress are direct descendants of ancestors who owned slaves.
slaves. President Joe Biden and every living former U.S. president except Donald Trump are direct descendants of slave owners. The same for two of the nine sitting U.S. Supreme Court justices and 11 of the 50 U.S. governors. The first U.N. investigator to visit the U.S. detention center at Guantanamo Bay is reporting cruel punishment. Correspondent Cami McCormick has that story. Investigator Fanula Nealine says the detainees are subject to inhumane and degrading treatment. After two decades of custody, the suffering of those detained is profound and it's ongoing. Her visit was the first time a U.S. administration has allowed a U.N. investigator to visit the facility. About 30 prisoners remain there. Scorching heat is spreading out to more states. Meteorologist Stephanie Abrams at the Weather Channel. We'll be about 5 to 15 degrees above average from Louisiana to Arizona. In fact, some of our high temperatures will actually set records. Severe storms are causing headaches for travelers. Thousands of flights were canceled or delayed yesterday. So far, well over 2,000 have been affected today, most along the East Coast. The Dow is up 54 points. This is CBS News. Find great hires fast with Indeed. Their end-to-end hiring solution makes it easy to attract, interview, and hire candidates all in the same place. Visit Indeed.com credit. Have you Googled yourself lately? Are there negative posts from an ex-employee or from a former client? Maybe an outdated news article? or sensitive personal information about your family. Search engines don't always get it right. But right or wrong, it's your reputation on the line. That's where Reputation Defender by Norton comes in. One of the most trusted names in online reputation repair. Reputation Defender has been fixing people's search results for over 15 years. Their cutting-edge approaches help you to wipe away unwanted information in your search results. They also promote the good stuff so that it rises to the top helping you put your best foot forward. Your good name is too valuable to leave to the whims of a Google algorithm. Take control with Reputation Defender. You can start by getting your free Reputation Report Card at reputationdefender.com or call 800-401-6681 to speak to an expert. That's 800-401-6681. The search is on for someone who vandalized the Coliseum in WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Eversource is getting the green light to monitor and transmit data from natural gas pipelines underground in Northampton. The city council approved the installation of nine telemetry cabinets, which will be installed on public ways on North Maple Street, Prospect Street, and Trumbull Road. Three more cabinets will have to come back to council to be approved at Barrett, Hinckley, and Chestnut Streets, and will be discussed at the next council meeting July 6th. A Westfield man will still face gun charges after a judge denied a motion to dismiss the case. 37-year-old Eric LaFrance allegedly sold two guns illegally to an undercover federal agent. During a search of LaFrance's house, detectives found numerous guns, ammunition, and a crossbow. According to Mass Live, LaFrance has had 45 previous arrests. LaFrance will be back in court on July 30th. Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner said the city is open for business to manufacturing now that the area along the French King Highway near the industrial park has been rezoned as an industrial area. I speak to business owners and contractors and developers looking for space for their clients and can't find it. This was a beautiful opportunity to make more land available and to bring more jobs, especially good paying jobs here in Greenfield. While some city councilors disagreed with the change and said the area could be used for housing, the mayor argued that developers are not interested in building housing that far outside the city center, but that large manufacturing industries are actively seeking land 
to expand their operations into Western Mass. Another mostly cloudy day, humid, some scattered, mainly light showers today. The high of 78 to 82. Scattered showers again tonight. Overnight low of 64 to 70. Mixture of sun and clouds here tomorrow. Watch out. Some stronger thunderstorms are possible Wednesday afternoon. A high of 78 to 82. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. been a long time coming. This is Talk to Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. I'm Bill Newman. And Bill Newman, you know, I have so much to be grateful to you about. But among them is maybe about six years ago. I'm not quite sure when, but you introduced me to uh, Duke Goldman, a member of Society for American Baseball Research, Sabre. And uh, we have been doing this fair play um, uh, monthly segment, which is... Uh, just so important to me at the intersection of social justice and uh, sports and the game that I've always loved my whole life, baseball. And Duke Goldman, as always, is here in the studio with us. Hello, Duke. Hey there, Buzz. Hey, I'm really excited to hear about what you... You are literally an expert on the Negro Leagues, and you have made race and baseball uh, such a focus of your of your uh, research, your um, thinking for so long. Well, there is a uh, Jerry Malloy Negro League conference scheduled, the 2023 Sabre Conference. Uh, I think it's July 20th to the 23rd in Detroit, Michigan. So can you tell us about the conference and about why you're going? Sure. Well, this conference is an annual conference. Sabre has a Negro Leagues committee, and I'm on the committee, and I'm actually part of one of the organizers of this annual conference. And Detroit has a stadium called Hamtramck Stadium in Hamtramck, Michigan, outside of Detroit. And it is a restored Negro League stadium. And we are having a conference to celebrate in 2023 the 100th anniversary of a team that was called the Detroit Stars, which was in the first Negro National League, the first organized black <coughs> baseball league. And one of those stars was a player named Norman Turkey Stearns, who was in the Baseball Hall of Fame, who, if you go into the databases that now exist in BaseballReference.com, you will discover that of the players in the Negro Leagues, they have so far recorded that Turkey Stearns hit more home runs in the Negro Leagues than Josh Gibson, the great wow, all-time really? catcher. Wow, Yes. I'm embarrassed. I never heard of Turkey Stearns. Well, he he is in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but, you know, he played in the shadows, sadly. Um, his daughters and granddaughters are involved in getting him full-fledged recognition. And also, Josh Gibson's great-grandson, Sean, is attending this conference as well. And the theme of the conference is the intersectionality of civil rights and black baseball. And that's where we sit today and where I want to resume what we've talked about in the last two segments, which began with me going to Washington, D.C. and researching the Branch Rickey papers. I think we all know, but a reminder of who Branch Rickey was. Branch Rickey was the gentleman who, as 
the GM and part owner, general manager and part owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers was the person to sign Jackie Robinson, thereby reintegrating Major League Baseball after it had 63 years of segregation. Now, the last two months you've been, during this segment, Fair Play, you've been telling us about that research about Branch Rickey. So um, what, what, what's the next step here in your research? Well, I want to talk about reparations today. And so Branch Rickey did his best to repair the damage in Major League Baseball by all of these years in which a veritable gold mine of talent was not being um, used. Uh, and he went out, and as soon as he became the general manager of the Dodgers in 42, after he had been fired by the St. Louis Cardinals, who he had been the head of for 25 years, he went to the Dodgers board of directors and said, you know, now is the time to look at black talent. And he went out there and scouted them and signed Jackie Robinson in 1945. Now, when he was interviewed uh, during this time, he was asked, why'd you do this? And he openly admitted that it was opportunity, that, you know, nobody else was signing these players and he wanted to build a great team. But he also said that an incident in his early adulthood had burned in his soul. And that incident was one where he was, as a young adult, coaching the University of Michigan baseball team. He had a player named Charlie Thomas, an African-American ball player, a catcher. And Thomas traveled with the Michigan team, and when they got to a hotel, the hotel manager said, he can't stay here. And Branch Rickey pleaded with them, and they finally said, okay, he can sleep on the floor in your room. And Charlie Thomas, as Branch Rickey told the story, came into the room, started crying, and started scraping away at his hands and said, black skin, black skin, I wish I could peel it off. And Rickey said, this burned in his conscience. So the question then arises, did it really? Why did it take him so long? That was in 1904, approximately, and here it is 40 years later. Why didn't he do something sooner? And I think I mentioned in an earlier show, St. Louis, which was a segregated city, was not conducive to these experiments. Ricky even spoke to the owner, Sam Breeden, of the Cardinals and said, you know, we should integrate the stands, and he wouldn't even do that. He said, St. Louis won't tolerate it. So he knew you know, this wasn't the place to do it. Brooklyn was more progressive. He saw his opportunity. But did he really have a commitment to Charlie Thomas? So when I did research, this is what the importance of primary research is. I looked through the Branch Rickey papers, and guess what? I found letters between Branch Rickey and Charlie Thomas. Charlie Thomas went on to become a dentist in, of all places, New Mexico. There were a lot of black dentists for the reason that white dentists, generally speaking, did not want to go into black people's mouths. Mm. Okay, So Charlie Thomas was a dentist. Branch Rickey and Thomas stayed in touch all those years later, were communicating with each other. And in fact, there were letters where Branch Rickey was uh, helping Charlie Thomas's kids find jobs in the 1940s. So to me, that is a piece of evidence that says, you know what? Branch Rickey was in touch with this person. He cared about him. It mattered to him. Did he do it because he wanted to win pennants? Absolutely. But was it a conviction? Yes. And he did, I think, want to do some work towards repairing the damage. Duke Goldman, I want to ask you a question based on something you just said and a word that caught my ear, and I think perhaps the ear of a number of listeners is too, as well, and that is that Branch Rickey 
reintegrated baseball. Correct. I think that would be surprising to a lot of people. Reintegrated as opposed to the usual story, he integrated baseball. Explain that. Yeah, so um, Major League Baseball had two, arguably three, black players. The first one in 1879, a gentleman named Will White only played one game and was not recognized as the time at the time as black, but it turns out that he was. Um, but in 1884, a team in the American Association in Toledo had two black players, um, Moses Fleetwood Walker and his brother Weldy. So there were black players in Major League Baseball. They were the only two recognized at the time. It didn't happen after that. But Minor League Baseball had black players as late as 1897. And many of them were significant players and stars. So there was, there were, was a black presence in uh, Major League and Minor League Baseball. And then after 1897, there were none. Was there, a ra- was there a racist pushback that put an end to black players in organized baseball? Absolutely. And famously, a guy named Cap Hansen, who's a Hall of Famer, who was a star for the then Chicago Cubs team, um, and also the manager, he did not want to play in games with Moses Walker. And that had a lot to do with this unwritten color line coming down in baseball. Could you go back to one other thing you just said, and it was about integrating the stands? Because Branch Rickey, you say, wanted to win pennants, mm-hmm. and that was one of his motivations. Absolutely. Was he also motivated by the possibility of putting uh, black baseball fans in the stands who yes. would be paying customers? Yes, And was there, was there pushback in that for that in Brooklyn? Was integration of the stands an okay thing in Brooklyn in the late 1940s? You know, there was probably some pushback, but not that much. Uh, he went and spoke to the black community and said, you know, if, if you come out to the games to cheer on Jackie Robinson, you have to behave well so that we don't have problems, which is something that would today be considered paternalistic and maybe even racist. But at the time, the black community responded to that, that they were going to come out and cheer on Jackie, but do it in a very, quote unquote, civilized way. And so he he kind of, he was a troubleshooter. He was looking for ways to make this succeed, and he did. And Jackie Robinson did by playing outstanding baseball. And you see all of those photographs of men in the stands, white and black, wearing suits and ties, sports jackets and ties and and hats. I mean, it was kind of a formal occasion to go Mm -hmm. to a baseball game. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Duke Goldman, I want to circle back to uh, where you started. which is talking about reparations. A number of municipalities from Ann Arbor, right here in Northampton, Amherst, are uh, uh, exploring uh, the notion of reparations, some remedial measures to make up for past um, deprivations and um, injustices that were heaped on people uh, because they happen to be born with the wrong pigment. Um, And like Charlie Thomas said, couldn't peel off their skin. So in this arena, your arena of sports, and in particular baseball. What are you thinking about in terms of reparations? Well, where I'm jumping off of is what Major League Baseball did and did rather poorly. And what they did is that in December of 2020, they declared that they were now considering um, seven different Negro leagues as major leagues. This was an approach to repairing the damage done by a failure to recognize these leagues for the significant leagues they were. What's wrong with that? Well, as a general rule, I would say this was a good step to take. The problem was how they did it. 
when you repair, it's kind of like you have something that needs fixing, and if there are, say, holes in the wall, you have to repair the wall. What Major League Baseball did was not really repairing. It was slapping coats of paint on the wall, making it look good instead of fixing the problem. What didn't they fix? Well, there has been research ongoing by my society and others to uncover all the games of black baseball. And it's complicated. It's a mess because black baseball had its challenges. It didn't have the resources. It didn't have, it had leagues that were, were starting and stopping, teams that were, were disbanding and forming. And they had to bargain with usually major league owners to play in the major league uh, stadium, so their schedules were erratic. The black newspapers publish once a week, and they are still to this day uncovering more box scores. So they don't have all the data. And Major League Baseball knew that. Why did they announce in December 2020 they were now recognizing the Negro Leagues as major leagues? Well, they said they did it because it was the 100th anniversary of the first or organized black baseball league, the first Negro National League, which did start in 1920. However, it also happened right after George Floyd um, was killed in Minneapolis by a racist policeman and his cohorts. And most people have the sense that Major League Baseball acted precipitously to try to get ahead of the potential blowback because there's another glaring problem. In repairing the past, they're also not dealing with the present, which is that Major League Baseball has about 7% of their players being African-American. So Major League Baseball wanted to say, okay, we're doing the right thing. And what did they do? They weren't ready. They didn't know how to approach this. They made a declaration and... The problem now exists that they don't have the data together, and apparently it's going to take minimum of five years before the official record is, is updated to include black baseball statistics. There are so many problems in putting the material in in a way that makes sense, and they did not address that. We are discussing, well, race and baseball uh, with Duke Goldman, the uh, member of the Society for American Baseball Research Saber, which is going to be having a conference he'll be attending, the Jerry Malloy Negro League Conference, um, in about a month. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about reparations with Duke Goldman. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at $80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. There's nothing like being in the same room at the same time, sharing your experiences with other women. At Cancer Connections Breast Cancer Support Group, we can laugh or cry. With our burdens lifted, even for a little while, we can go back to our lives better able to handle dealing with cancer and all it entails. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or to donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of charge. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult hoping to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam. 
The Literacy Project offers free classes at five locations in Franklin and Hampshire counties. We also offer classes to help you prepare for college and to help you plan for a career. If you want to learn, the Literacy Project is the place for you. To find out about Literacy Project classes in Northampton, call 413-584-6755. To find out about our classes in Greenfield, Orange, Amherst, and Ware, check us out online at literacyproject.org. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you want support furthering your education and accomplishing career goals. If you want to learn, the Literacy Project is the place for you. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with baseball researcher extraordinaire Duke Goldman, who is going to be attending a conference uh, called the Sabre, Jerry Malloy Negro League Conference. Um, what is, oh, well, first of all, who was Jerry Malloy? So Jerry Malloy was a top researcher in the Society for American Baseball Research who uncovered stories of black baseball going back into the 1880s. He wrote a seminal article about a short-lived league in 1887, the Keystone League. Um, so he died sadly in his mid-50s, and Sabre chose to recognize him uh, as a symbolic representation of all the important people out there who were doing important research to uncover these stories that were not told. So, Duke, you talked about reparations before the break, and so what will you and your colleagues in the Society for American Baseball Research at this conference, what will you be doing that involves the notion of reparation, if anything? Well, Turkey Stearns, who I mentioned earlier, his daughters and granddaughters will be attending along with Sean Gibson, Josh Gibson, the great catcher's great-grandson, and we're going to have panels where we recognize Turkey for the 100th anniversary of his debut, and we are also going to have a panel looking at the intersectionality of civil rights and black baseball, and in the course of the conference, we're going to talk about how they can truly repair the damage, and one of the elements of the damage is not only declaring the Negro Leagues as major leagues, not only getting an official black baseball database together that incorporates that data with the data of the formerly white major leagues, but looking at the many more star Negro League players who belong or at least deserve serious consideration in Cooperstown. And we believe in our society that there are as many as 20 to 30 more players that should be seriously considered for the Hall of Fame. Now, one thing that it is good that the Hall of Fame is doing, and by the way, I often talk about the <laughs> Hall of Fame in Major League Baseball as one because they are separate entities, but pretty much everything the Hall of Fame does, MLB is involved in it, and vice versa, especially when it pertains to recognizing history. In 2024, they're going to revamp their black baseball exhibit. And what I think they need to do to repair the past is to make sure that from 2024 to 2033, for the next 10 years, there is a part of all their veterans committees that nominate black players from three eras of black baseball and that the committee is required to vote for at least one player every year, which would mean that 10 more players at minimum from black baseball 
get into the Hall of Fame. And then in 2033, when it will now be the 100th anniversary of the longest lasting Negro League, the Negro National League, the second one, they can say, we've done that. We have recognized more of those players. Does the Players Association have a position in this regard? I don't think they do. I haven't heard them speak of it. I think that they are not nearly as well-versed in black baseball as they should be. And I think their focus is more on the field of play today. And there's the other problem. There are which not I'd, enough black Which players. I'd like you to talk about. The percentage of Major League Baseball players who are black is a fraction of what it was 15 or 20 years ago. Right, and Major League why, Baseball... Why and what, and what is the... What reparations... What is the remedy for that injustice? The remedy for that injustice sounds almost impossible. Getting more black players, getting more black executives, putting black faces in front of the public. Chris Rock, who was a longtime comedian, longtime baseball fan, said he doesn't he thinks the young black people don't see anybody that they can identify with. I knew when I grew up and I, I was a young kid, Art Chamsky played for the Mets, and knowing that there was a Jewish player was something I identified with. How do they do that? Well, Major League Baseball has programs, a program called Play Ball that is supposed to get more black youths to play. They have drafted more black players, but they need to do more than that. They need to acknowledge, first of all, they talk about their minority presence in baseball. Well, black Latinos are not the same as African Americans. They need to acknowledge openly, we don't have enough African Americans, and we need to also, we only have two black managers in baseball. We can have more of them. Maybe out of need, 30 teams. Out of 30 teams. Football has a Rooney rule that requires that black individuals be interviewed for top positions. Baseball probably should have a similar rule. If there were more people in public who demonstrated that black people are included in baseball on the field and off the field, I think more people would respond. This, you know, this, I, I took the, oh, I'm sorry, Dan. No, this, this is Dan. I just wanted to ask about the Latino players. I mean, what is the statistics behind them today? I mean, it seems like a large number of Latinos are playing today. I mean, is it 30, 40 percent now? Yes. It's, in the minor leagues, it's sometimes upwards that, of 40 percent. In the major leagues, it's, it's somewhere between a quarter and a third that are Latino. And some of them identify as black and others do not. Yeah. But it's not the same thing. Yeah. But I was just going to say, I, I, uh, I was watching some of the College World Series, remarkably, overwhelmingly white. There were a couple of really um, wonderful young players who were black that I saw, but they were in the minority, Absolutely. literally in yes. the minority. We see more Asians in Major League Baseball mm -hmm. as well. We're seeing I, I want to just go back to why isn't the Players Association more active in this discussion? Obviously, Sabre, it seems to me, the question for Sabre is what to do about it. But they recognize the problem. They advocate for reparations. Right. Why isn't Major League Baseball's Players Association, of all things, doing the same? You know, I, I don't think that there's been enough conversation, and there needs to be more. Um, I know that Tony Clark is African-American. He's head of the Players Association. I don't know if he's been brought into the discussions. I don't know if they care enough about this problem, and they should. I can't really answer that. You've made it really clear that reparations involves recognition. Yes. What about financial reparations? Is that part of the discussion? Uh, I don't really think that's part of the discussion here. I, don't, I, I think it's really about 
recognition as it pertains to realizing the problem, um, doing things about the plaques in the Hall of Fame that don't announce that some of the people who are members of the Hall of Fame have a racist past. Again, they're taking partial measures. The Hall of Fame in their annual yearbook mentions in biographies of uh, Judge Landis, who was the commissioner, that he uh, bolstered segregation. But they won't change the plaques. I think for most people, it's Change really the plaque to say that Landis was a racist. Yes. And that's what they need to do. They don't want to admit to it. Um, I don't really think it's about money at this point. I think it's really about acknowledging roles and behavior. And there, changing. Is, there is one money aspect of this, and I believe I read the New York Times a couple of weeks ago about a plan to try to restore an uh, old Negro Leagues baseball park. That involves money, and yes. that would be not only symbolic, it would be something that is uh, involve reparations of, of a real sense and perhaps uh, economic of economic benefit today. So your thoughts on that? Well, and the more that can be done, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of ballparks even left that can be, you know, rebuilt or, and Hinchliffe Stadium, which is the one you're referring to in New Jersey, was recently um, rebuilt and it, it's, it's, it's recognizing black baseball. And the same was done at Hamatramic Stadium in Detroit and in Birmingham where the Birmingham Black Barons played in, the, in up until the 1950s. So that is a way and communities can do a part of that. And again, I think Major League Baseball could be involved in that, generally is and, not. And is Major League Baseball putting in enough money in the Little League games and, and rebuilding that? Because to me, it's like, if you really want to see more black players, it's going to be a long road to get to where you want to go. And it requires investments today that you'll only see the results of 10, 20 years down the road, right? Major League Baseball tends to be short-sighted, and it's not surprising. Most of these owners are going no longer own the team in 10 or 20 years, so they're, they're paying attention to now. Oh, the see. other problem is it's not about Little League anymore. It's about kids who play travel teams. Baseball yeah. is played on travel teams, and most of the, 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 the people who, who have their kids playing, they don't have the resources in the African-American but, community to pay for their but, kids but to baseball, do that. But Major League Baseball could in make the investments necessary if they wanted to to make that affordable and to actually reach out and to make a difference. They could, down and the they don't want to. They don't want to. Okay. Well, I guess where I'd like to leave it is what you're – talking about Duke Goldman, what you're going to be talking about at this conference you'll be attending um, soon, is the importance of recognition. So much of the contributions that African Americans have made to our society in a thousand different arenas just goes unrecognized, and it, if anything, it goes, it's rejected by some people who refuse to acknowledge it. While some of our listeners might not be interested in baseball, let alone baseball history, they certainly should be interested in this because... Because we still have problems of racism in our society today, and the only way we're going to address those problems today is if we also address the past and recognize what was wrong and work towards rectifying it. I can't think of a better place to leave it than that. Let's work towards rectifying it. Thank you so much, Duke Goldman. Good luck at the conference. Uh, Bill and I and Dan, we're always so grateful to have you in the studio and learn from you. We will be right back. We're going to be talking with Lisa Riley of The Hustler Files about her interest in changing lives.
listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Eversource is getting the green light to monitor and transmit data from natural gas pipelines underground in Northampton. The city council approved the installation of nine telemetry cabinets, which will be installed on public ways on North Maple Street, Prospect Street, and Trumbull Road. Three more cabinets will have to come back to council to be approved at Barrett, Hinckley, and Chestnut Streets and will be discussed at the next council meeting July 6th. A Westfield man will still face gun charges after a judge denied a motion to dismiss the case. 37-year-old Eric LaFrance allegedly sold two guns illegally to an undercover federal agent. During a search of LaFrance's house, detectives found numerous guns, ammunition, and a crossbow. According to Mass Live, LaFrance has had 45 previous arrests. LaFrance will be back in court on July 30th. Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedergardner said the city is open for business to manufacturing now that the area along the French King Highway near the industrial park has been rezoned as an industrial area. I speak to business owners and contractors and developers looking for space for their clients and can't find it. This was a beautiful opportunity to make more land available and to bring more jobs, especially good paying jobs here in Greenfield. While some city councilors disagreed with the change and said the area could be used for housing, the mayor argued that developers are not interested in building housing that far outside the city center, but that large manufacturing industries are actively seeking land to expand their operations into Western Mass. Another mostly cloudy day, humid, some scattered, mainly light showers today, the high of 78 to 82. Scattered showers again tonight, overnight low of 64 to 70. Mixture of sun and clouds here tomorrow. Watch out, some stronger thunderstorms are possible Wednesday afternoon, a high of 78 to 82. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Ah, summer in New England, and the local farmers are showing up at the co-op every day with summer berries, basil, and tomatoes, an endless bounty of fresh fruits and vegetables. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats, sausage, lots of grilling ideas. And in the co-op cheese department, get fresh mozzarella for your caprese salad. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. It looks like July is going to be a big month for shopping. In addition to Amazon's recently announced Prime Days promotion, Walmart Plus has set a competing promotion, Walmart Plus Week, running July 10th through the 13th. Walmart says Plus members will get first shot at the deals. Security experts are warning movie fans not to fall for Internet ads for free streams of a popular Super Mario Brothers movie. To watch the movie, scammers require you to fill out a survey, answering personal questions, and even provide a credit card. Zuru is recalling 7.5 million full-size and many robo-alive junior baby shark sing-and-swim bath toys. The company says when using the toy in a tub or wading pool, a child can slip and fall, injuring themselves. So far, 12 reports of a child being injured by falling on the fin. 
I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we're back with Talk the Talk. You know, this this uh, crazy medium that we work in of radio, it, um, it has for the century plus that it's been in existence. It, it offers so much. It's a way for people to stimulate commerce. It's a way to entertain people um, with everything from comedy to music, which just enhances our lives. But it's also, uh, it provides uh, a forum where people could really impact uh, on the public good, and in particular on the lives of others. With us in the studio is uh, a radio host of the Hustler Files. She created the Hustler Files, which happens this uh, in this uh, station, WHMP, every Saturday morning at 9.30. It is Lisa Riley. She's a 25-year veteran of this media industry. And thank you so much for being with us, Lisa. Buzz, I am so humbled and excited to be here. Oh, that's great. So you have been interested, um, as are Bill and Dan and I, in criminal justice and prison reform. You've been doing that for some time. Why don't you tell us how you became interested in that and the intersection between your interest in criminal justice reform and your radio show, which is Hustler Files? Well, I've had this amazing media career, and in 2017, I randomly got an email on my computer that was a notice about a newsletter from a group called Inmates to Entrepreneurs out of Raleigh, North Carolina. And I was doing media production at the time, and I took a look at this article and read it, and I just, something struck a chord. I just said to myself, this needs to be a TV show, this needs to be a radio show, whoever started this organization, they're doing God's work, in my mind, in helping formerly incarcerated people, men and women, uh, become entrepreneurs, and that sort of started the journey, and I reached out to them, and we had a conversation, and from there, I developed a podcast off of that. That podcast is The Hustler Files, so you developed it as a podcast, and... um, how did, how did it develop into what it is now, a Saturday morning radio show? So I was doing this in California. I took a break and went out there and to see if that's where I wanted to continue my media production. And I realized I wasn't, but I did 12 episodes out there and I sp- met so many people. But what happened was that it led me down other paths. So I would be meeting with the head of prison reform and corrections for the state of California. I went to Sacramento and met with them. And I worked with groups like Defy Ventures, which is not a locally known group yet. um, But they're a national group and they go into prisons, private and um, state, and they help with the entrepreneurial journey of incarcerated individuals, men and women, where they develop their own. They do an eight-month program, and they work with them through volunteers, and they develop, uh, these these incarcerated individuals develop um, entrepreneurial companies, and then they have competitions, and they bring volunteers in. And I got the chance on two occasions to go into these state-run prisons and see how this piece worked. And that just fueled my passion for what was happening inside, um, behind the walls, because while there was a lot of great programs like Defy coming in from the outside, 
especially when I went to the women's prison in Corona, California, and I met with these women, and so many of them were victims themselves, and they just didn't belong there. And so throughout this whole journey, I came back to Massachusetts right before the pandemic. I'm from here originally. Came to work for Saga Communications in media and um, hoped that someday I could restart and, and jumpstart this, this passion project, and in February that happened. Well, I love that you use the word passion to describe your project. There are a lot of worthy causes. There are a lot of need, people who need um, uh, the assistance of others in order to get back on their feet. You chose people who had been incarcerated. You chose people who some say are the bottom of the social, the bottom rung of the social ladder. So why? To be honest with you, I don't know. Um, I was always attracted, even as a child, to to sort of the bum on the street or the panhandler. Um, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and my grandmother would take me into the city for shopping days, and we'd walk by the panhandlers sitting against the you know the Kaufmans and those stores, and and I'd I'd stare at them, and and some of them were missing limbs or they'd been veterans, and and just something always resonated in me even as a child, and I didn't I watched a lot of Perry Mason growing up. I <laughs> I thought like you and Bill, I oh, was that explains <laughs> it. Going to be an attorney, um, but but then you know paths took me in other directions. But that the whole entrepreneurial thing has always been very strong with me because I've had my own businesses over the years, on and off, raising my daughters, and then going into media in the mid '90s and realizing that I think I had a knack for storytelling, and then that whole, you know it took twenty some years before I realized that this was something I I needed to follow. So let's talk about the Hustler Files. In the Hustler Files, you bring in sheriffs to talk to. You bring in people who run programs in the prison. Well, why don't you tell us the kinds of things that you've been doing um, and what listeners who are not aware of what happens 930 uh, on WHMP every Saturday morning, tell them the kind of programming you do. So... I love the local aspect to what we're doing, especially here in Western Massachusetts, because we are so progressive in Massachusetts with prison reform and criminal justice. So I garnered the support of the three local sheriff's departments, Hamden, Hampshire, and Franklin County, and um, they've all been wonderfully supportive in bringing me opportunities for resources and people to interview and, and learn more about their programs because they're all very distinct in their own way. They, they have a crossover. And that's really been a growth for me uh, over the last 22 weeks that we've been doing this. We talk about fair chance hiring. We've had guests on who... Um, fair chance hiring. Fair chance hiring. So it used to be called second chance hiring. And um, there are a lot of organizations, including Vera Institute of Justice, who are trying to change that language. Uh, part of that is, you know, not calling people inmates, calling them incarcerated. Uh, it's it's not saying prison and jail, but saying behind the wall. Um, so there's a lot of language changes that even I'm adjusting to as a, a radio host. Which is not just about language, it's about state of mind, what, how we consider those residents of our... Uh, our prisons and jails. Absolutely. And so I've been very fortunate to have the support of these sh three sheriff's offices and 
supplying the amazing resources and opportunities that they provide, but I also have my national base from years ago when I was meeting and talking to different organizations, and so I'm starting to sort of dribble in some of those conversations. For example, uh, we have an episode coming up in the future of a group out of California called The Last Mile, where husband and wife entrepreneurial team for the last decade have been, um, they create a software program where they're teaching uh, incarcerated individuals to code. So when they leave, they have a job. And a lot of these programs, the reentry, the recovery programs that we keep talking about, all go back to the fair chance hiring piece. Um, Mel O'Leary here in Western Mass uh, owns Meredith Springfield. He's been working with the Hamden County Sheriff's Department. We featured him on an episode. He's been hiring formerly incarcerated for years with great success. So when we talk about the fact that we are have a shortage on the employee end of the spectrum, um, there are a lot of qualified people out there. A few weeks ago, I had Craig Stevens here from Landscapes Northampton with three of his gentlemen. He's in recovery. He had a successful business, but in his 40s, he fell apart from cocaine use. So he gathered his, his strength and recovered and is still fighting that battle, but he only hires formerly incarcerated because it's what he knows and he believes in giving them a fair chance at a new career. Uh, Lisa, I'd, I'd appreciate knowing more about what you mean when you say that the uh, Hamden, Hampshire, and Franklin County Sheriff's Office are progressive in terms of their programming and their approach to persons who are behind the wall. What, what do you mean by that? Or what does it mean as a very practical matter? I know progressive and sheriffs don't always go together for a lot of people. Um, I just think it's the internal programs, which is what I'm trying to share on the show every week that we don't hear about. The media doesn't print um, for example, this well, it's, week, not, it's not exciting. No one got hurt. No blood. No, no, uh, uh, no scandal. No, no sex. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But but what goes on inside is really important. I, I agree with that. I, I'd like you to share what you mean and what, what those programs are. Well, for example, um, there's a lot of educational programs. There are college programs. There are high school programs. There's opioid treatments for people that are you know, in desperate need of recovery. Um, there are uh, vocational programs like Hamden County has a woodworker shop and they have a sewing shop and they have a printing shop and uh, similar programs in Franklin County. And uh, there's work release programs where people, you know, local companies like R River Valley Co-op um, works with the Hampshire Sheriff's Department and will hire, you know, the right person to come in and in a work release program that's living in one of the halfway houses. So I try to feature these different programs and then talk to some of the people that went through them. The other thing I, I love about our Sheriff's Departments out here is that they will even hire people that have gone through their incarceration system behind the wall and then they come out and they go and get educated and you wouldn't believe the amount of people who have master's degrees that have been incarcerated and I've met with them behind the wall I've met with people after they've been incarcerated they're some of the brightest people I have ever met so I think we don't give enough kudos to what a lot of our our um uh 
criminal justice entities do to try to really improve the lives of the people that sadly have had to go behind the wall. We are speaking with Lisa Riley, the host of The Hustler Files, which uh, airs every Saturday morning at 9.30 here on WHMP. She gives new meaning to that uh, saying that we've all heard, that's not who they are, that's just what they did. And it only takes a minute, and that shouldn't segregate them for the rest of their lives from society, because we can't segregate them for the rest of their lives. So it's time to make sure that... um, and what Lisa does is she uses this medium, radio, to introduce us to not only those people, but to the programs and efforts on the part of so many to uh, recognize that they're members of our community. We're going to be back and talk with Lisa Riley more right after this. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Tag your it. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Tom Hartman program, your home for the resistance, commentary, conversation, and common cause. Join me, Tom Hartman, every weekday from noon to three, right here on WHMP. 1015, 1400, and 1240 WHMP. What do you take to the beach? A book. Go to Broadside. Get a beach read. Like Happy Place by Emily Henry. Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. Have you read Lessons in Chemistry? Read it by the water. Broadside Bookshop Summer Reads. For the beach or a lazy afternoon in an Adirondack. Stacey Abrams' new thriller is Rogue Justice, and you won't be able to put it down, except maybe for a quick dip to cool off. Broadside, Northampton's community bookstore. Order any book on the Broadside website. Have it delivered to your door or pick up at the store. My name is Joanne Vanine. I am a CASA worker, court-appointed special advocate for the organization Friends of Children. I first got involved with the CASA program back in 2004. I was still full-time employed at that time as the uh, dean of students at UMass Amherst. The case that inspires me relates to a young man. There were issues of physical abuse. There were issues of drug abuse. Through the advocacy work that I did, this young man was placed with a family in Springfield. It was a rocky start. But the good news is that this foster family stepped up and said that they would adopt him. Almost immediately, I began to see the change in him in terms of his own confidence in himself, which clearly derived from a sense of security. And that also was evidenced in the way he performed in school. The really happy ending to this is I got a text message saying to me, look at my report card, and he is on the honor roll. Learn more about becoming a CASA advocate by visiting Friends of Children's offices on Route 9 in Hadley or going to friendsofchildreninc.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back talking to host uh, Lisa Riley of the Hustler Files, but I think, Bill, right off the ticker tape, you've got some news. The Supreme Court has ruled that the North Carolina Supreme Court did not overstep its bounds. It had the uh, right to strike down congressional redistricting map uh, because it was excessively partisan. Uh, Of course, the North Carolina legislature has already gerrymandered it again since that ruling. But here's the crucial, one of the crucial pieces of the decision. The court declined to invoke for the first time what's called the independent state legislature theory, which would have allowed state legislatures to 
cast their electoral votes in a presidential election, for example, to whoever the legislature thinks should be president, regardless of the popular vote in the state. And this was a serious challenge to democracy. The request was give the state legislatures the right to uh, cast their electoral votes for the candidate they want, not who the people voted for. Which so many red states are trying to do. And the court indicated that would not be permissible. So in that part of the decision is actually really important because there were four justices who said, yeah, let's have the Republican legislature vote for Donald Trump. We don't care who voted for Biden. That was the threat. We have survived that threat for the time being. Buzz, we go back. Well, I, do, I just want to say that the Supreme Court is surprising us in, uh, in a number of ways, not as many ways as I wish they were surprising us, but nevertheless, uh, these last uh, days of the of this year's session are um, providing surprises and um, in some ways comforting. Headline from the New York Times, Supreme Court rejects theory that would have transformed American elections, transform being a euphemism. So let's get back to Lisa Riley, as important as that is, because your work, Lisa Riley, is really important too. So the last couple of shows on uh, on Saturday morning at 9.30 here on WHMP in the Hustler Files, which you created and host, um, there was an, imp- an important subject which you were exploring about um, residents of, uh, incarcerated residents, uh, and their need for medical treatment and other kinds of treatment. Can you tell us about what you've been focused on? So the last couple of shows we featured from both the Hampshire and Franklin County uh, Sheriff's offices, um, people who are heavily involved in their opioid drug recovery programs. So the Hampshire Sheriffs, we had two weeks ago uh, Dr. Katie, who actually oversees in-house their mood program, which is the medication disorder program, along with Mindy and a couple of the team supports. Um, That was a great interview. And they they're one of only two in the entire state that have this treatment program inside the jail, which is is very rare. And it's federally funded, um, which we didn't get a chance to mention on the show that day. But it's, um, it's very important because people show up and they may not have been incarcerated in the past, but they are... Um, having withdrawals or that you know they've been picked up and brought to the jail and they need treatment so they don't die and um, Hampshire sheriffs can can deal with that in that moment and Dr. Katie uh, is certified in opioid drug intervention Um, especially now with the xylazine and some of the other drugs that are hitting the market it's a really sad state and then last week I had Sheriff Donilon and um, he is a Chris co-chair. Chris Donilon from Franklin County. Yes, and he's, um, he's so committed. I mean, he was a state legislator, as you know, and he, he's really had an amazing career journey, and he was here with Deb McLaughlin, who is the executive director of the Opioid Task Force out of Franklin County, and they have the same type of programs, and they're, they have so many people on call to just, you know, go when it take, when, on a moment's notice to help with intervention. I'd like to note, it was not that many years ago when a person who was uh, dependent on, uh, for example, heroin, was picked up, brought to jail. They were brought in, and if they were made to go cold turkey, and it was horrifying. Cold, going cold turkey, by the way, has the effect of making sure that people, when they restart using drugs, that they 
never want to go through that again. And so they use more drugs. Um, it was a horrifying non-intervention. All the jails would do is make sure someone didn't die going cold turkey. That's what happened to people brought in. And this is a sea change in how our local jails treat people. Well, I just want to say it's a sea change because instead of saying that this is a criminal activity that they're involved in, it's a medical disorder. That addiction is a medical disorder that requires treatment. And both the sheriff of Franklin and Hampshire County, you have had them on because they recognize that. It's so true, but I also want to mention that, um, you know, it. There's, I had the chance, and I just want to bring this up real quick, the, the chance um, a little bit ago, a few months ago, to visit with the Hamden County, and Nick Kochi, Sheriff Kochi, had brought in this jails network from around the country, and I got a chance to sit in on some of this presentations, and we are extremely progressive. The rest of the country is not doing what we're doing here in Western Mass, and people come here to find that out. Well, what we're doing in Western Mass can be, uh, you can learn more about how we treat our fellow community members by listening to Lisa Riley's show, The Hustler Files. That's 9.30 every Saturday morning here on WHMP. Lisa Riley, I want to thank you not just for being here with us uh, this morning, but for all that you do to recognize that our neighbors are, in fact, that's what they did. That was a moment. That's not who they are, and certainly not who they have to be. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for joining us on Talk to Talk. And remember, we're all trying to walk the walk. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster. Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2. Only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank. With offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin Counties. Greenfieldsavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Bacon Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Bacon's many programs and services help Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's a